He's the one we're here to praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, my name is JP, and I'm the pastor here, and it's one of those that if you haven't been here recently, you're like, you don't look like Pastor Evan Foote, and you're right. Uh, I'm not. I became the senior pastor here approximately 168 hours ago, um, and so I'm excited to be able to celebrate my first uh, Easter with you uh, here at Pomerado Christian Church. So again, thank you so much for being here this morning. We're excited for what God has in store for us. Let's stand up. Let's take the next minute or two to, to get to know one another, and then we'll dive into God's Word in just a moment. Last, in the first service, this side was still talking uh, for a while, and this side was all like very neatly, like just sitting very quietly waiting. Um, and then in this service, we're, we're all excited to get to know one another. So uh, this is really good. Now, as you know, we are here for Easter. So let me be uh, probably the, the 30th person to wish you a happy Easter this morning. So happy Easter. Yeah, no one wished me a happy Easter back, that's fine. Um, <laughs> No, I don't, I don't want your pity Easter wish. I don't want it. You can keep it. No. Um, you know, this morning we are, we are here, and for some of us, uh, we want to think about uh, some of the Easter traditions that we've had, some of the things that we, uh, whether growing up or things that we've uh, started uh, in adulthood. So for some of us, uh, you know, even on your notes, it's like, what are some of the Easter tradition, traditions that you have? I remember growing up, and I remember loving um, I love looking for things that are lost. So uh, Easter egg hunts are just so fun. Uh, I think it's because deep down I want to be like the hero that finds the lost thing. Um, and so like Easter egg hunts are super fun. Um, I loved when I got a little bit older and instead of like eggs with like three Smarties in it, you get the Reese's peanut butter eggs, uh, which are just delicious, and then like slide them under the couch. And as long as you remember to get them, it's all good news. Um, I remember my, my mom, they would do the kind of the hot and cold, like when you're looking for things, like and you get closer, it's hot, you get far, farther away, it gets colder, and you try to find those. We we started that with the girls as well. Um, I remember you kind of want to wear your, your Easter best or your nicest clothes for Easter. So whether you come uh, to church all the time or whether you're, you're newer, you, you, you dress up a little bit more so than you might um, on a normal Sunday. Now recently, um, our daughters, they, they started loving up. Shaylin, who's six, Elise, who is two and a half. And so this morning, they really wanted their Easter baskets because Steph had done a great job putting together these Easter baskets. And... Um, Shailen was like, can we open it first thing in the morning? And we're like, no, you can't. You have, to, you have to eat first because you have Easter dresses and we don't want to get those messy. So it's eat, then dresses, then you get to open up your, your presents. And so uh, she came up to me and she didn't even say hi or happy Easter. She's like, dad, guess what I got? And so it's fine. Um, but she, uh, so Easter dresses has been one with our girls that my dad um, buys them dresses. My dad and stepmom buy them dresses every year. And so we get to set, take a picture with them all dressed up every year. But we all have these, these Easter traditions. And so what we want to go through today as we dive into, into the Word, we're continuing our reflection series. If you've been with us through the month of March, we've taken some opportunities to look at people in the Bible through the Gospel of John and look at their stories, maybe some of their struggles, maybe some of their triumphs, um, and looking at them and seeing where we can see ourselves, both as we are reflecting on this season, 
reflecting on who Jesus is, but also seeing our lives in their lives as a reflection. If you were here with us uh, Good Friday a few nights ago, we, we had a, just a, a really worshipful night, a really great night of being able to look at each sermon that was preached. There was a station there um, in which you had an opportunity to interact and you had an opportunity to pray through or process or repent or rejoice or whatever that looks like. Um, so it was a really great night. Um, culminating in this morning when we are f- uh, completing our reflection series this morning. And we're going to, again, look through the Gospel of John, and we're going to talk through this idea of what happens when Easter becomes personal to us. What happens when Easter becomes personal, when it goes beyond Reese's peanut butter cups, beyond Easter baskets, beyond the nice clothes, beyond playing hot and cold when you're trying to look for something What happens when Easter becomes personal for us, for you and for me, and some of the responses we have? So before we dive into the Gospel of John, chapter 20, which will be on page 1685, 1685 in the Bibles here. Um, Before we dive into that, though, let's pray, and we will then uh, go into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, that out of all the mornings, we rejoice that Jesus is alive. We rejoice in knowing that Um, What was once the darkest day in all of history on Good Friday is now Easter Sunday. We celebrate and we rejoice because if it weren't for Easter Sunday, as the Apostle Paul said, uh, we we would be pitied amongst all if the resurrection isn't true. But we thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is real. And we thank you that today, hopefully, we'll see what happens when the resurrection and when Easter becomes personal. So, Lord, we love you. And it's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as we look at John 20, we're, gonna, we're in the Gospel of John, and part of that too is that as we're looking at the resurrection story, we recognize that, that John's Gospel is very personal. He was the beloved disciple of Christ, that he was the one whom Jesus loved, he was one in his inner circle. So John, the actual Gospel of John takes almost half of the Gospel, is actually just focused on the last week of Jesus' life. So it's a different perspective than we see in the Synoptic Gospel. Synoptic is another word for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who are very consistent in their storytelling. John just takes a little bit of a different view, and it's a more personal view in many ways. And so today, we're going to start off, I'm just going to start off in verse 1, and then we're going to dive into some options here. So Verse one says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, we talk about Good Friday and and it's a heavy day. It's a dark day. It's the day that our Lord laid down his life freely. As we sang earlier, he laid it down for us. And obviously that's, that's one of the darkest days, the darkest day in all of history. But I almost wonder sometimes if one of the harder days was actually the next day, that Saturday. Because when any of us have had a loss, when any of us have experienced something really difficult, sometimes it's not the day it happened, but the next day when you wake up and realize that your reality has changed forever, that is a harder day. That you recognize your new normal is without this person or without this relationship or whatever it may be. That sometimes that next day is a heavy, heavy day. So see, for for the disciples, for Mary Magdalene, for others that follow Jesus, Saturday must have just been such a heavy day, a day filled with mourning, a day filled with doubt, a day filled with fear, and it must have just been such a heavy day. So she's coming in, and, and Mary's showing up, 
and the others are coming that morning on Easter morning because that end of Friday to all of Saturday was the Sabbath. They couldn't do any work. And so she came early that Sunday morning so that they could finish preparing the body and, and uh, pay her respects and things like that. So she's showing up really early before it was light. So I think Gospel of John and the epistles of John, the letters of John, have a lot of light and darkness. So this idea of John 20 verse 1 where it was still dark, it's more than just telling us the sun hadn't risen up in the sky, it's also telling us that they didn't know that the sun had risen up in their lives. And so we get to see this idea that it was still dark out, but, but it said that she saw the tomb, the stone had been removed from the entrance. And now, I know this is one of those things that we probably thought of before, but it doesn't hurt repeating it, that the stone, why was it removed? Was it removed because Jesus, who was raised to new life, somehow couldn't open up a door? Was it that he was stuck behind the stone is like knocking on the back and say, can you let me out? I know I've escaped death, but man, this stone is tricky. <laughs> no, it's because the stone was open, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that we may come in, that we may see so that Mary Magdalene could go in and hear the angels and see, no, the, he's gone. He's not here anymore. That Peter and John, when they raced each other to go down there and to look at it, could say, no, he's risen. He's not here it wasn't so that Jesus could get out. It was so that we could look in and so that we could experience that for ourselves. And so we look now at three responses when we recognize that that was a moment where the resurrection, where Easter became real to those people. Let's look at three different people or groups of people and see what happens when Easter becomes personal, when it becomes real, beyond the eggs, beyond the baskets, but into real life. Let's see what we learn. So, the first thing we see here, number one, is that when Easter becomes personal, mourning turns to joy like it did with Mary Magdalene. When Easter becomes personal, mourning turns to joy like Mary Magdalene. I'm going to jump down to verse 11. It says this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? That, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, Mary was so overwhelmed with her grief, so overwhelmed with her mourning, and, and just confused and unsure of what to do, that she didn't even recognize that Jesus was right there with her. She thought he was the gardener. She thought he was just someone there and said, what have you done with the body? Not recognize that who she was speaking with was the body for whom she was searching, the resurrected body of the one that she was searching for. And have you ever had this when you're either when you're growing up maybe and you're you're trying to you're sleeping and your mom or your dad wakes you up by name and says it's time to get up and you know if you're like you know some people you just say five more minutes or you know five more five more minutes if you will um, and you just you want to keep snoozing right you just you don't want to wake up but when someone calls your name it often has this moment in which you you, you wake up right 
You know, for me, it was an interesting moment for me when I realized that I woke up just as clearly when someone called my name as I do, or as I did when my daughters would cry out for dad. That that became a name that I was so used to that if I hear dad in the middle of the night, I was wide awake, maybe not wide awake, but I was awake enough to see what was going on, what was needed. See, for some of us, when we hear our name, it wakes us up. When Mary heard Jesus call her name, it woke her up to the reality of what was really going on. That that morning that she had had for the past few days had turned to unspeakable joy. That this morning of brokenness and, and recognizing that this morning was completely evaporated at the sound of the risen Lord's voice. That for some of us, God is calling our names. He has called our names to come into the family of God, to come into relationship with him. And we can think back on that time when, man, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord on September 20th, 2003, I can remember what it was like to recognize that my life would be different because the resurrection became real, because Easter was no longer about eggs and candy and baskets. Not that those things are bad things, but they're not the true things of Easter. And so beyond that, when it became personal, our mourning turns to joy. Now, some of you are in a season of mourning, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a, a relationship, moment of brokenness. And it's okay for us to be sad, right? Like we, it's often we want to like hide our sadness or hide our mourning, but mourning and grieving, I mean, there's a season for that. And the beauty of this is not that Jesus, you know, says, stop crying, it's a fact that he calls her by name and she wakes up to see that her mourning, although painful, will last but a moment in comparison to eternity with the risen Lord and the joy that comes from that, from that relationship. And so we see that for some of us, whatever season you are in, if you're in a season of mourning, whatever brokenness or wound that you're facing, I don't know what you're going through. I don't pretend to know all the things that are hurting your heart right now. But I can point you to the one whose heart was broken for our sakes. And through what Jesus did on the cross and through the fact that the resurrection is personal, it is real, and Easter is personal, that we're able to experience life and life everlasting. Because even though there may be mourning for a moment, even for a season, it is nothing compared to eternity with God and the joy that we have because of Christ Jesus. So that's the first person is Mary Magdalene. The second one is we look at the disciples. Now, when Easter becomes personal, fear turns to peace like it did with the disciples. When Easter becomes personal, our fear turns to peace like it did with the disciples. I'm going to read, I'm going to jump down to verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, the, the key part of that in verse 19 is the idea that the disciples had their doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. 
that we looked at last week, the idea that John was the only disciple that we have record on that is with Jesus at the cross. We don't know where the other disciples went, but, but we know that John was there, and that's when he handed uh, the responsibility to care for Mary, his mother, over to John. But the disciples were afraid. They went away, and they tried to hide and locked their doors, and they were so fearful because if the Jewish leaders had just killed their leader, what would they do to the disciples? What would they do to them? And there was great fear in that moment. And so they locked the doors, they hid away, they tried to to just escape the whole situation. But then Jesus, in the same way that he didn't need the stone to be moved, because we see here he's able to walk through walls. And he came into a room with a locked door and said, peace be with you. That fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of what's next, the fear of what God's really doing, the fear of wondering if God is doing something, it evaporates once we see and receive the peace that Jesus has for us. Does that mean we could still be afraid of things? Of course. But it means that we need not to stay in that fear. That whenever we see an angel, he says, be not be, do be not be afraid. Whenever we see Jesus here, he says, peace be with you. This shalom, this peace that isn't just the absence of conflict, but it's a recognition of the presence of God. This peace that he leaves with us, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside those of us that call upon him as Lord and Savior. And so no matter what you're facing right now, whatever fear or transition or concern that you have, you can be afraid, but also recognize that you have a God who is with you, that the same voice that can still the sea in the midst of the storm is the same voice that can still your heart in the midst of the storm. And he can say, peace, my peace I give you. Be still. You're not alone. When I tell my daughter that as she's going to bed, you don't have to be afraid. I'm watching out for you and God's protecting you. I can hear you. I can see you. There's some that God are looking at in this room, calling you by name like you did with Mary, saying, listen, I got you. I see you. I'm with you. I'm protecting you. But the fear that can debilitate us gets eradicated when we see the peace that comes from Christ himself. We recognize that 2 Timothy 1.7 says, says that for God did not give us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline or self-control that we don't have to be afraid. We can have moments of fear, but fear should not be the marker of our life when it comes to the unknown, the Peace should be the marker of our life when it comes to the unknown because we have a God who is known to us because Easter has become personal. We recognize that no matter how fearful we may have been, no matter how difficult things may have been, that there's a Prince of Peace who is with us, who has been risen to life. And so we're able to know that we're not alone in the midst of that. Lastly, we see Thomas that when Easter becomes personal to us, our doubt turns to faith like Thomas. Our doubt turns to faith like Thomas. Now I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to read it two different ways. And I want to see if you can see uh, a little bit of, of maybe the distinction between here. We're starting in John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's read that again in another way. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, the first one is the one that we often say with Thomas, this idea of almost like this obstinate, stubborn, intellectual, I need to be able to touch it and see for myself. And it's almost this idea of like, unless if I know it for me, I'm just, it's too far-fetched, it's too illogical, I don't believe it. That some of us here, we have a, we hear about God, we hear about the resurrection, it can't be personal because it's too far-fetched, it's still illogical and I won't believe it. But then if you take that route, we, we also have to acknowledge just through the Bible, through church history, through even extra biblical or, or, or historical accounts outside of the Bible, that there was once a group of 12 apostles, 12 disciples who were so fearful that they were hiding and locked their doors and for fear of the Jewish leaders. And yet 40 days later, when Pentecost comes after the ascension, they are preaching in front of Jerusalem, in front of thousands. Now, what changed? Is it just that they decided, hey, let's come together and let's just kind of fake this movement? Is it this idea that, hey, we can just pull a ruse over everybody? But you've heard it said that people will often die for something that, that they believe to be true, even if it turns out to be false. But people wouldn't be willing to die for something they know to be false. That if the resurrection isn't real, if Easter did not become personal to the disciples, to Thomas, then this, this idea that we would have be celebrating 2,000 years later the resurrection of the man who was fully God and fully man, we wouldn't even be here if something did not happen, if the resurrection wasn't real to those people and they laid down their lives. So for us sitting here, the year 2018, we look at it and we say, well, it's too illogical. I can't believe it. I understand, but we gotta, we'll do a lot more dialoguing, conversation about that because there's a lot of evidence and there's a lot of points that show that the resurrection is real. It did happen, and that is true. If that is true, that does mean something for your life. But the second reading, the second way that we read it is almost a, it's almost that feeling you have when you're out of hope, and if someone offers you a glimpse of hope, it's almost too much to bear for fear that it wouldn't come through. It's almost this idea of like, oh, if, I don't, if I can't see it, then I can't believe it because I've been hurt before and I've, I've put my hope in this situation before. And if you are telling me that this is true and it's not, it would break my heart even more. Now you look at both of those readings and we look at Thomas and we, we call him Doubting Thomas because of this passage. But is it doubt because of he's... Too, too logical and he's just like, I won't believe it until I see the facts? Or is it doubt because it's almost too painful to have it be pulled away from him again that Jesus was alive? Because this is the same Thomas that we see in John 11 that when Jesus says that we need to go to Jerusalem, he says, we will go with you and if we die, if we go with you and we die, then we will die with you. So he had faith. He had faith. But there was brokenness, there was hurt, and there was doubt. But that doubt can truly turn to faith when we see that the resurrection is real, when Easter becomes personal to each and every one of us. 
We can proclaim with what Job said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I know my Redeemer lives. So for some of us here, we're looking at this and, and you're in a season of doubt. That maybe you had a relationship with God years ago when you were growing up. You think about Easter traditions and going to church was one of them. But through the course of time, that tradition faded into memory and memory faded to oblivion in the past. But you're here today. Praise God for that. I truly believe that no one in this room is in here by accident this morning. That you are loved by God. You are created and formed. That you have a God who loves you so much that he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, including you, shall not perish but have eternal life. And that God sees each and every one of us, whether we don't have a relationship with God, whether we used to have a relationship with God, whether we've known him for decades, he looks down at all of us this morning and wants to draw closer to us. And wants us to draw closer to him. So none of us are here by accident this morning. And so I wonder, whether you're in a season of mourning and you need to experience joy again, that once seems impossible when we're in that season of grief. Maybe you're someone who's experiencing fear and you need to have peace, that there's someone that is looking out for you, that is protecting you, that has their eye on you even when you feel like you're alone, or whether you're in a season of doubt and you're just, whether because it's an intellectual wrestling you're having or it's an emotional wound you're trying to overcome, that there's faith that can come through this morning. Now, I used to work at uh, Romano's Macaroni Grill uh, in the city of Monrovia, California. Do we have macaroni grills down here? Yes. Praise God. Um, <laughs> the one that I worked at, uh, the, the particular restaurant that I worked at uh, in Monrovia, California shut down about a year or so after I left. It's not because of me, but it's not not because of me, no. Um, no, we didn't, you know, we, and so, I've loved this restaurant and never been able, haven't been able to find a lot over by us, but when I worked there, um, if you've been to Macaroni Grill before, you recognize that the servers, what we would do is we grab a crayon and then we write our names upside down. And for me, it was really easy because my name was JP, two letters, like it was super simple. Um, other people had really long names like, you know, Chrysanthemum, that's not true, that's not a name. Um, but they had really long names, they had to learn how to write it upside down. But the whole reason, what was the point for that? It was, the whole reason is that what we would do is it's kind of one of those where some, if you say, hey, I needed a refill, it could be something where it's like, JP, can I please get a refill of soda? Or as opposed to someone who just grabs their cup and just like holds it up in the air waiting for a refill. Speaking the truth in love, if you do that, just don't do that anymore. That's not a great move. Um, but it's one of those where they're, it's, it's something where being able to call someone by their name is one of the most honoring, loving things we can do. That working at a restaurant, when someone would say, JP, can you help me with this? I, they're, they're tapping into the one thing that I've heard my entire life, my name. That if we're at a restaurant and, or we're at um, a movie theater or we're working with flight attendants, I mean, whatever it is, if you hear someone or you see a name tag, calling them by their name is one of the most honoring, caring things that you can do. Because it shows they're not just an object, they are a subject, they are a person. And they have a name. That in the same way that Mary heard her name and their, her entire life changed on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. 
In the same way that I remember hearing my name when I first gave my life to the Lord. In the same way that many of us can go back to a time when we heard the Lord calling us by name, that there is a very true fact that God is calling some people in this room by name to come back to him or to come to him for the first time. See, Isaiah 43 says it this way, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That God, he summons us by name. We see in Genesis 22, 11, he summons Abraham by name. We see in Genesis 46, 2, he summoned Jacob by name. We see in Exodus 3, 4, he summoned Moses by name. We see in 1 Samuel 3, 4, he summoned Samuel by name. In Luke 22, 31, he summoned Simon Peter by name. In Acts 9, 4, he summoned Saul and Paul by name. And here on April 1st, Easter Sunday, 2018, there are people that he is summoning by name this morning. That some of you have tried, when you hear, you've heard God calling you or heard that response, you're trying to push the snooze button and say five more minutes or five more days living the way I want to live or five more months or five more years or five more decades, but there's comes a time when we can't push snooze any longer. That he's been knocking on the door of some of your hearts this morning and wants to know if you will let him in. That he wants you to hear your name as a beloved child that he loved so much that he sent his son to die in your place, in my place, in our place, so we can have eternal life. And not just eternal life, meaning that we go to heaven forever. Yes, that's part of eternal life. But John 17, 3 talks about Jesus saying that eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son whom was sent by him. That eternal life starts not when we die, Eternal life starts when we die to ourselves and give our lives to him. Eternal life starts now, today, this moment. Choose life. Choose to hear your name called by the sweetest voice we'll ever hear, by the risen Lord, by God and Holy Spirit saying, come back to me. For some of you, come to me for the very first time and surrender your life. For some of you, come back. Come back. Remember what it was like when we were doing so well together? Come back. I want that relationship with you again. And for some of us, maybe we have a strong relationship with God, but you're still in a season of mourning or you're in a season of fear or you're in a season of doubt. Hear your name being summoned now. Hear the love of a father who says how deep and loving, or how deep is the father's love for us that it is lavished upon you for your children of God. And that is what you are. That is your name. That is your identity. All because Easter becomes personal to us. And so in a moment, we're going to be taking communion. And so if you've already made that decision in your life and you already love the Lord, and maybe you need to do some work with him now, though. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, he's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, we have some work to do. But we take the bread and we take the cup this morning the bread that reminds us of what happened just a few days ago on Good Friday when his body was battered and broken and bruised and torn. And we take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was shed just a few days ago that wipes us clean and makes us new and takes away our sin as far as the east is from the west. That we come forward and you're going to have a time when the, when the ushers come forward in a moment when we pray, you'll have a time to take that communion and just 
Surrender to God and hear him call you by name. And then later on, I'm, I'm prefacing it now because some of you are hearing that call this morning and you're, you're trying to think of ways to get out of it, to make a decision. You're trying to think of other things that might come up. At the end of this time of communion, we're going to have a time of, of singing and one song. And at the end of that, I'm going to ask for people to come forward for prayer if you need that to give your life to the Lord for the first time or to come back to him for the 1,000th time, knowing that we have a God who gives us 1,001 second chances. And he keeps going and his mercies are endless. So will you pray with me as we take time to close the sermon and get ready to take our communion? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that Easter, resurrection, can become real and personal to us. And so whether we find ourselves like Mary Magdalene, like the disciples, like Thomas, Lord, this morning, we thank you that you brought each and every one of us here. We thank you that we join in the chorus of over a billion people across the world this day, worshiping the most, you on this most beautiful day of all days. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we have the opportunity to take communion together that, that if, there's, if there are anybody that needs to be able to just have this time with you to, to profess that they are struggling right now with mourning or fear or doubt, Lord, thank you that because of the resurrection being personal, we know that we are not alone. We know that we have a Savior who understands and we have the Holy Spirit, you who raised Christ from the dead, can live within us and empower us and convict us and comfort us and guide us. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you quite yet or are on that journey with you and they're somewhere on that journey. Lord, I pray that you would be knocking on the door of their hearts, that you would be summoning them by name, that they would recognize that mourning can turn to joy and fear can turn to peace and doubt can turn to faith. Today, this day. And so Lord, we love you. We worship you. We commune with you now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So they come forward. They're going to start handing out the communion. Again, feel free to partake, um, and we'll have some time of worship later, and then we'll have a time uh, for prayer at the very end. So please feel free to partake the communion as you feel led. joining in the song again of billions of people that recognize the power of this day that we are one church party of part of the large church the body of Christ trying to build this kingdom for him and so it is an honor and it's a joy to serve alongside you to worship alongside you to dive into God's word alongside you and so if you are again brand new here uh, and we, again, you haven't picked up your, your mug yet, um, please, please come do that. We would love to get to know you and, and hear a little bit more about you. But we would be remiss if this morning we didn't again reiterate that if there's anyone here that, you know, you feel the Lord summoning you by name this morning and you just want to come forward for prayer, whether it's to come to know him for the first time, whether it's to come back to him after a time of, of falling astray, or whether it's because you have you're in a season of mourning or fear or doubt, 
I know I'll be up here. I would love to pray with you. So as people are heading out and, and wishing each other happy Easter, if you want to come forward and pray, um, we would love to be able to provide that opportunity for you um, because we recognize that this can be the day that we hear the Lord summoning our name and everything can be different. Just as Mary heard his, her name called by Jesus, the same can happen to each and every one of us here this morning. So thank you so much for being here. God bless you and have a very, very happy Easter. We'll see you next week.